millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <sighs> the only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Hello, my name is Dave Hanratty and there will be no popcorn. Welcome to episode 6 of the No Popcorn Film and Music Podcast, an offshoot of the No Encore Podcast, and I think it's been a long, long time since we've dropped an episode, Dave Higgins. The bitches are back. <laughs> and I've been waiting to say that. Uh, I think I saw this movie like three weeks ago, so... This is the thing, yeah. Okay, so the last No Popcorn episode to arrive was in the middle of May. It was Queen of the Damned, our new metal indulgence, and we thought we'd be back with a Whitney Houston double bill, which, we, which we're not doing. We did say that if Rocket Man, you know, came out, we should probably go see it. And I saw it about a month after you did. Yeah, you, uh, you, you, you were a busy man. You've been away. You've been traveling. So, yeah, life got in the way. Exactly. So we're here now. It's grand. I'm actually really, really excited to talk about this. This is, of course, Rocket Man, the Elton John biopic, which was a couple of decades and change in the making. I think. Yeah, he's been uh, he's been trying to make it for a while. He started his own studio with his uh, his husband David Furnish, and they've been. Yeah, they've been looking to do it for a while, going around studios, asking them to do it, and they eventually found one to do it when uh, this came out. Yeah, Dexter Fletcher at the helm, of course, he who saved Bohemian Rhapsody, and thank God for that, eh? Our first episode that we did. We owe Dexter a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess before we get into Rocket Man, a quick catch up on what we have been watching, because the last time I saw you was for a film, we went to see Godzilla King of the Monsters. I'm really looking forward to people listening to this with all these films that are now just leaving the cinema <laughs> or, yeah. like, or long gone. Um, 
Yeah, I, th- I don't think I have a lot to say about Godzilla King of the Monsters. It was incredibly disappointing. I don't know how you have a movie where there are lots of big things that want to hit each other and you kind of let people get in the way of that by just uh, talking a lot. I mean, Ken Watanabe in the first movie has that line where he's just like, let them fight. And it's like, yeah, maybe do that in the sequel. Um, I thought it was incredibly dull. It really was. And there was at least two comic relief characters, maybe even three. Yeah, it was pretty brutal. Um, Hell of a cast, though. It was a hell of a cast, but they didn't really have a lot to do. No. Uh, I've been watching Chernobyl, the HBO show that everyone's been raving about. They say it's the best show that's ever been made, David. That's called recency (laughs) bias, I think. I was at a wedding over the weekend and, you know, you're kind of chatting to people you don't know. And you're like, oh, what are you watching on TV? And they're like, oh, have you seen Chernobyl? And the amount of people that literally quoted that line to me, they say, I hear it's the best ever. (laughs) It's like they're saying, it's like, who are these they? Like IMDb algorithm. Yeah, this is based on people using IMDb voting, which I think got like the Dark Knight up to number two about a week after it came out. It's well, not exactly a fucking flawless democratic system. Yeah, I mean, guys. according to IMDb, I think Christopher Nolan has made like six of the greatest fifty films of all time. What a man! And also V for Vendetta. Um, <laughs> I have I have been to see some other things. All right. Um, I was going to list off every single movie I'd watched in the interim, but then it would have taken too long. So I'll just, I'll keep this to what I went to see in That's the a cinema. a bit of a humble brag if I've ever heard them there. Well, I mean, there's nothing to be proud about sitting at home just watching a movie. <laughs> um, I went to see uh, the Diego Maradona documentary. Ah. Have you seen, did you see any of Asif Kapadia's? Yeah, I've seen Senna, I've seen Senna. Amy. I assume it's the same style, is it Clips? Yeah, so, same style, so there's like, um, he obviously over. went and interviewed people, but there's no like talking heads in it. Um, it's excellent. I haven't seen Amy, but I would imagine that there's like some similar themes where it's just, I've kind of always been of the belief, having watched people in sport and movies and music, it's like the minute that you get a little bit of success in life, walk away from everyone in your life because <laughs> they'll just drag you down. Um, he does an incredible job with um, with Maradona. Uh, kind of, it's basically just the seven years he was at Napoli and kind of how that city just kind of adopted him as their god. Like I was in Naples last year and like you still walk around, you see murals everywhere, you see shrines to him like down side streets and it really does an amazing job of like showing how suffocating fame is like there's just people are just like wanting to get any piece of them and grab them and um yeah it's really 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 good um and i also saw we've you, we both said john wick three yeah yeah i was You've talked about that in the other part I think I think. it's the weakest one of the three it is it's just too much but still very enjoyable yeah and it was like it was another one where i think when going to see it in the cinema um like a lot of people i kind of think hadn't seen it before when I was in the cinema, so like there were genuine like that first that first fight with um Boban Marjanovic uh in the library and people were just like, Oh and like <laughs> you know, like the kind of gasps that you get in a really good horror film when you're out with like uh like a big packed crowd. So like it was kind of fun in that vibe. I think it's yeah. because also like Keanu has all of a sudden had this insane kind of meme related renaissance. He's now the internet's favourite person. Yeah, he was in He's in the new Toy Story, and then he's in. Uh, he popped up in E three recently. He was in Always Be My Maybe, which I was did watch in the interim. That is a terrible film. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know much about it. Um, it's Ali Wong and Randall Park, um, two very very funny people. Um, they wrote a rom com together. They, they're kind of given carte blanche to do whatever they wanted by Netflix, and I was like, this could be fine. This could be good. It's like the most stock rom com I've ever seen with some like, you know, 
they wrote the characters and if you know a white person wrote the characters you'd be like jesus christ you guys are really like hitting some ugly tropes what's keanu doing it uh he plays himself he the, the he literally he walks into the movie for 15 minutes and just plays himself he, like he as the keanu we know now as everybody is just like in awe of him and he is um ali wong's new um boyfriend and her and ronald parker long lost lovers trying to get back together reconnect. this doesn't sound that bad this sounds kind of fun the keanu scene is amazing like i'm sure it'll you could jump on netflix and watch it for 15 minutes and like just take it as some sort of experiment not even experimental just a short film just watch keanu and then get Did out you see of him at a e3 Oh, for the video game he's, he's in? Like, now check this out. <laughs> yes, he didn't. He comes his own meme immediately. Yeah. Yeah, he's lovely. I agree. It's great. But John Wick 3, I don't know. I mean, like, we're getting a fourth. I'll go see it, but I didn't need a fourth. Anything else on your list? Um, I want to mention one TV show I watched. Because it does have... <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> From the writer of The Hangover. <laughs> um, I want to mention a TV show because it does have a music link and it's uh, made by a film director. Did you hear anything about The Virtues when it came out? Oh, this is Stephen Graham? Yeah. Who's in this movie. Who's in this movie. So nice little uh, segue. So yeah, Shane Meadows' latest um, four-part miniseries that he wrote with Jack Thorne, who's kind of been his, I guess his writing partner for all the TV series of This Is England. And it's a slightly autobiographical piece about Stephen Graham plays a, he's like a plasterer in from Liverpool. And his son, who is moving to australia's like nine-year-old son with his with his mother who he's no longer with it sends him into uh, an alcohol spiral um they film him like kind of going back on the drink and like it's the one of the most uncomfortable things i've ever watched you know how shane meadows can kind of really hit into the nitty-gritty of like, sounds very shane meadows so far yeah and so yeah he wakes up with a hangover and then just gets on a boat goes to ireland goes to your home county so the whole thing is said in louth what yeah <laughs> i'm not really sure where they're going for in loud because it was filmed in sheffield and that is never more obvious than in all the pub scenes because like have you ever been in a pub in like in basically anywhere in england they're always really really bright there is probably like a, a dartboard there's just like lots of things our pubs look so so different yeah they all and, look like, like the, they, pub, the pub from that opening sequence of american werewolf in london yeah so like they get they, they cheat it quite well throughout but um yeah, it's very obvious in the pubs, but um, yeah, it's really, really good. It's a heavy, heavy watch. It basically deals with every dark subject you could imagine, but Stephen Graham is absolutely incredible in it, and like Shane Meadows has this great ability of like no matter how dark his subjects are or what he's what he's discussing in a movie, he's really good at like good comedic moments. Like you know, if you've ever seen Dead Man's Shoes and like. Paddy Constantine's on a tear but like there's a scene where like the people who will eventually become his victims are just like hanging out having these really dumb mundane conversations or like um getting someone to like snort parmesan cheese under the auspice that it's cocaine it's like these look very very good human moments um interspersed in it but very very good PJ Harvey does the soundtrack um it's very good it kind of has that very warp music vibe that Kenny he has that's like queasy but it's a it's a recommend. It's definitely not an easy one, though. <laughs> All right. And now for something completely different. With Stephen Graham not playing Elton John, that honor goes to Taron Edgerton. Edgerton or Egerton? We're gonna Edgerton. Edgerton. Yes, I've, like heard Joel him, Edgerton. I've heard him say Edgerton. Yes. Okay, let's get a taste of Rocket Man. In order to become the person you want to be. 
I'm thinking of changing my name to Elton. But that's my name. Yeah, I know. You could be the best-selling artist in America if you desire. I was trying to do something bold. Why are you still something flashy? Can you even play the piano in those? Let them know who you are. And just don't kill yourself with drugs. So how does it feel to be a star? It's never going to last. Let's just enjoy it while we can. Most sleeping arrangements get out. All of this is gone. I just hope you realise you're choosing a life of being alone forever. So there you go. It's out now a while. I assume it's kind of still in cinemas by the time this comes out, but it could be leaving, so go see it sharpish if you want to. I guess real quick, I mean, like, it's made a bit of money, but it hasn't been like a box office, like, mayhem success or anything. Uh, I don't know if it was ever going to be. I mean, is this technically an indie film? It's about a, it's about a global superstar. Um, there's there's one thing that makes this definitely not an indie film because the thing we'll get touched on it later is that it is a studio film and it is a studio film that also has the title of being the first studio film to have a gay sex scene, like major studio. Now this is so other ones obviously have gone on the kind of like the smaller subsidies, but yeah, it it does kind of have the the markings of like something smaller it's like you know Dexter Fletcher isn't a big name director much like the director of Bohemian Rhapsody was when he came to it and Taron Egerton is like he's kind of known I guess he has a bit of cachet if you like the Kingsman movies which good for uh, you if you do <laughs> I, really I do not <laughs> um and it's like it's it's quite a small cast um aside from that like it's not you know Richard Madden and Jamie Bell. Jamie Bell. Like, there's no... It doesn't have... It hasn't really filled out with, like, big, big supporting roles. So, um, not not super indie, but um, not super mainstream either. Yeah. I mean, it's made good money, but it is R-rated. So, like, it kind of... It was never probably going to, um, you know, hit into the, the Bohemian Rhapsody levels. Yeah. Like, that just seemed to... as Like, if you kind of... That, like, seems an anomaly now already... It's a 15A over here, $40 million budget, and I mean, I don't know, I mean, like, it, like it feels like a crowd pleaser in a way, because this is a jukebox musical, this is, and I didn't know this going in until, upon walking in, I was told by someone that, oh, like, it's, like, people just start singing and stuff, and I was like, oh, right, okay, like, it's not just here, here he is playing in, in concert, it's like, all the characters do that join in thing, and the first time that happens, because they kind of play songs out of order from his life, and it's when he's a young kid and he starts singing I Want Love and his, you know, repressed father who can't hug him starts singing it and his mother who is Bryce Dallas Howard and not Gemma Arterton who I thought it was for the entire film. You did not. I swear I did. And as a matter of fact, walking out of the cinema and seeing Bryce Dallas Howard's name on the credits, I went, oh, oh she was in the film. Who did she play? Was that like the, the, the wife he married for two seconds? I, I, I could make a job on her. I didn't recognize her. And then I saw there's a name Gemma Jones in the cast who actually is the actress playing the grandmother. grandmother. But I assumed it was Gemma Arton who just married someone and changed her name because I was fully convinced that Elton John's mother was Gemma Arton for two hours. And she was that convincing as a cockney. I couldn't. Well, I don't know. I felt, <laughs> if anything, I felt Gemma Arton was kind of overdoing it. Everyone's kind of overdoing it. I mean, okay, so Richard Madden, right? I mean, I don't want to jump too far ahead here, but Richard Madden plays John Reed, who is the same character as Aidan Gillen in Bohemian Rhapsody. Which and what a missed opportunity. Blew to, my mind. Did you not know that? I didn't know it until... I was going to say that Richard Madden, by the way, is like doing extra Scottish. Well, he is Scottish, but he's doing extra Scottish. Yeah, he's he's put, he's yeah, he's playing. It it's like Vincent Cassell in that derailed movie where the director clearly said, "Be more French." 
True. Um, yeah, no, it's just to touch back on the uh, the potential shared universe that we <laughs> could have had. just brought Gillen over. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, you must be a Reggie Dwight. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I didn't know uh, going into the movie and didn't realize until after. And I was like about to go to sleep and I was just like on the IMDb. I was like, oh, John Reed. And I was like, okay, his Wikipedia page. Had to get out of bed and just like shout <laughs> at how hilarious that was. I'm imagining you like putting on like a dressing gown and glasses and just being like, wake up. <laughs> I'm <laughs> making the cocoa. I need to tell you something. You won't believe this. So, so yeah, we start off in Elton John's uh, world. He lives in a small house. His parents are in a loveless marriage. The, uh, the mother's having an affair. The father's never around. Uh, doesn't really acknowledge him. Elton John clearly is a child prodigy who can play the piano really, really well. Only really encouraged by the grandmother. Goes to music school and kind of makes something of himself bit by bit over time. The thing about this film is, I mean, I'm really conflicted about how I feel about it because there are I have many, many problems with it. But also when it was good, it was really fucking good. And I really liked it when it was like, I was, I was really taken away by the magic of the movies on occasion. I think Dexter Fletcher actually has done a really good job here in terms of just working what he has and also creating a world and, and really kind of leaning into it. At the same time, I know it's extremely reductive and probably even dumb to criticise an Elton John fantasy musical biopic for being a bit loud and obnoxious. But at times, and it's more about the characters that I was like, Christ, like, everyone is so fucking arch. Yeah, like, it, it's big, big across the board. Um, but I kind of, I kind of accepted that going in. Like, you only need to look at, like, the, the first scene of, like, the costumes alone that like it's going to be loud it's going to be brash it's going to be obnoxious yeah we've got like, a framing device like it, in, like, in which he's in therapy dressed up as like the devil and he takes off more and more of his costume literally shedding his demons <laughs> as the film goes along <laughs> that is some visual direction right there um yeah i i i quite liked it being big i didn't want it to be you know subdued like there, there's, there's another movie perhaps to be made about that's solely just about Elton and Bernie's relationship and like going deep into that. But like, in terms of getting to the spirit, I guess of Elton John, I feel like this really kind of nailed it. What is the spirit of Elton John, though? Because you know, obviously, in terms of as a performer, and it's something that the film absolutely reinforces. I mean, like the amount, the amount of times like a, a song would start up, and I'm like. Obviously, like the ones that you know off by heart, you're like, yeah, Belter, that's a Belter, that's a classic. And then there's other songs when I'm like, oh, I didn't even know that was him. That's a fucking classic as well. Jesus Christ. Like, he's got so many undeniable songs. But as a person, I mean, like, a bit of a reputation for being a bit of a prick, no? On occasion, <laughs> like in life. Yeah, he, I mean, kind of self-admittedly would say that he's a, a bit of a prick. I have a, I have a quote from him I want to read to you. Um... There are moments in the film where I'm completely disgusting and awful, but then, at my worst, I was disgusting and awful, and there's no reason to pretend otherwise. Now, this is from uh, a documentary about him that David Furnish made called Tantrums and Tiaras, but could you think that you could apply that statement to Rocketman? Do I think there's any point in the film when he's especially disgusting and horrible? Yeah. Not really. I mean, I think it's more like, okay, well, I mean, like, listen. I like, mean, this is, so yeah, I kind of think. He's I, involved I in the making of this film. It's a celebration. It's a celebration. Yes. It, sure, it's coinciding with the end of his career. Exactly. He's on his uh, three-year farewell, farewell tour. tour. Yeah. Which we 
totally missed a trick by not going to see. Again, yeah, much like with the Hugh Jackman thing, like we, like which I was out of the country for, as it turns out. Yeah, yeah, it's a shame that, that, that we didn't go full multimedia. And by all accounts, astonishing show. Yeah, amazing showman. Again, you can argue with the songs, but yeah, there, I, there, there wasn't. I mean, there's parts where for sure, like he's kind of you know like succumbs to drugs and is a bit grouchy. But I, yeah. I never felt like oh, this guy's a monster. If anything, he is surrounded by monsters who gaslight the fuck out of him. Yeah, there's nothing vindictive about him. And as you say, like the people around him, but like his parents who pretty much come across as terrible, particularly his dad, John Reed, pretty terrible. Uh, Stephen Graham. <laughs> again. Well, Steve, Stephen Graham's having fun in this movie. I mean, the thing is, I feel like everyone is having a lot of fun in this movie. It looked like it was fun to make. Even, yeah. Even when it's like, like, it hits poignancy moments. Like, that's one thing that I kind of felt going through it. I was like, I think everyone here would have enjoyed getting involved with this and just kind of playing dress up and leaning into it. And I mean, it's kind of like, the the problem with those characters when, when they're drawn so broadly is that I found myself kind of being like, well, this is like screaming for the cheap seats and maybe it should. But early on, you get this moment where the child version of him says to the father flat out when are you going to hug me and i was just thinking like i was like that's so fucking on the nose i'm just like that's just like like you're screaming this like come on man however at the end of the film uh it's the therapy scene where the child appears again before older elton john and walks up to older elton john the younger version of himself and says when are you gonna hug me and he hugs himself and i'm sitting in the cinema and i'm like god Fuck you, film. It worked. Du- get a little dusty in, yeah, the, yeah. in the lighthouse. Hit me, hit, hit me right there. In lighthouse, yeah, that's where I was, yeah. <laughs> of course. So yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like when it worked, it, when it leaned into that kind of melodrama, I guess it totally worked. And I was rooting for the film, even though at times I was kind of really fucking bored. And it is a film of beats. It is a film of story beats as opposed to let's live with these characters for long. And like again, this must be a challenge. Two-hour movie, 30 plus, 40-year career, a lot of things happening. You it's a pretty condensed, though. It's like it's 10 years of his life. Like, it doesn't go too far in, yeah, I suppose, into yeah. the 80s, really. But, yeah, like, it is still tough. Like, he... And there's tons I mean, of it, For like, all the records he put out in that time, probably was working at least average of one a year, if yeah. not more at times. There's tons of inaccuracies and inconsistencies as well, which I don't really care about. I couldn't care less I've seen those that. articles, yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm like, I don't it, give a shit. Like, as I said, like, you know, there's a scene where he literally turns into a rocket and flies away. It's like, what were you expecting with this movie? Like, as I said, it's true to the spirit or a celebration of the character of Elton John. So, you know, have at it. Like, we don't need a kind of like, this is exactly how things started. And this is, you know, then I wrote this and then I got a little bit more successful. Like, we've already done a couple of uh, biopics and it's just like a little bit, tiresome there's lots of tropes in them this does fall into a lot of them but i kind of feel like the fact that it goes fully embraces like it's musical being a musical that i found it incredibly exciting yeah it was exciting i think that it that is a really good word for there is a pace here and also a sense of spirit and i think before we move on to the actors i think like um i don't know if you've seen mark kermode's review of this i have not he adored it and he said dexter fletcher is a genius which i think might be a little bit too strong what I will say, though, is I think Dexter Fletcher has absolutely given himself a job for life in Hollywood off the yeah. back of this movie. I think he did a great job. He seems like a good dude. And I'm weirdly happy for him as someone who like grew up watching Press Gang. Yeah. Have you um, have you seen any of his other films? Uh, I've seen Wild Bill. Which kind of looks like a by-the-numbers It's not bad. Crime. It's got it a good it cast, isn't it? has its moments, yeah. I haven't seen Sunshine on Leith, which is the one that Kermode referenced and said that. I have seen that. Right. It's not great, but then it doesn't really have like the proclaimers 
don't really have the back catalog that Elton John has. Correct. Yeah. And like it, I I really admire its ambition to to do a movie like that where it's like about two lads coming back from um, it's either Iraq or Afghanistan you know back to Edinburgh and kind of trying to settle back in and then trying to tell a story about that and you know Peter Mullen plays like a one of their dads who's had like an affair and a kid turns up so there's lots of like quite heavy stuff happening in it and then trying to sew you know the proclaimers into that um you know it looks a little flat um it's you know big dance moments kind of look like flash mobs um so like you can see something there though and like just surely having the balls like in this day and age like very seldom people would just be like i'm making a flat out musical particularly as you said dexter fletcher's background well that's the thing i mean like i kind of like like would you really pick like one of the four lads from lockstock and two smoking barrels to direct an elton john movie and do it well no um do you remember him or uh have you watched the elephant man recently he's Um, a child actor in the elephant man you're kidding yeah really so um yeah he was a child actor for quite a while like he's in another maybe one day in the future we'll visit it have you ever seen bugsy malone the alan parker film i knew he was in that yeah he's he's in that and then he was uh in the elephant man as like the kind of assistant of the you know the ringmaster who's the guy who kind of so he's a veteran yeah like he has been around a long long time he's He's like before he's in doom (laughs) the terrible of course yes uh, Matthew Vaughn, who's helped produce this movie, his studio Marv worked on it, I believe, uh, kills him horrifically in Kick-Ass. So there you go. Jobs for the boys. Uh, <laughs> speaking of that, you got Steve McIntosh from Lockstock playing Elton John's dad in this one. Um, and I, I, I don't know, I, I just kind of enjoyed seeing the likes of them and like Stephen Graham pop up in these kind of small roles. Um, but I guess we should probably get to the main event, which is Taron Egerton. And uh, unlike Rami Malek in Bo Rap... Uh, oh, I believe we, we get most of Taron's actual vocal work in this, right? This is all um, his vocal work. He he sang before. Um, he's, had, funnily enough, had sang I'm Still Standing Before in Sing, the uh, that animated movie with lots of animals in it. I have not seen <sighs> it seen myself. It, yeah. He is a pig in it, I believe. <laughs> so um, Elton John was aware of him. But um, yeah, I think he like I think he auditioned and he... He recorded some Elton John songs and like they sent them to Elton John. Elton John was like, yeah. He's um, the guy. So I think he does like a really, really good job. Like it, they're not Elton John recordings, but like um, like you need to have a fair bit of range to do Elton John. To go from something like your song, which is pure ballad, to like Saturday Night's All Right, which like for me is a high point of the film. Let's have a quick listen to that. So that moment there also is kind of the transition scene where we go from the youngest version of Elton John into here's Taron Egerton now. And uh, he's kind of milling around in a band called Bluesology for a while. And I don't know if you noticed this, but I did. Two members of that band were played by two members of The Stripes. Really? That's correct. I did not notice that. My my mates. Your... <laughs> <laughs> You better watch what you say. You might be getting some emails. Tell you, yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, I wrote an article about the Stripes last year after they broke up. wasn't very celebratory. I got in a lot of trouble. And uh, yeah, so they popped up briefly. I uh, don't think they had, they had a line of dialogue. 
Was one of them... The guy who pisses in the bottle in the back of the van. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I was wondering, was one of them... An uh, apt summary. <laughs> <laughs> the guy who we took Elton from. No, Elton that's Dean. the other guy, Elton Dean. Yeah, that's played by a different guy, probably a professional actor. Um, so, yeah, we kind of breezed through these moments. But, like, that sequence there, I think you can even kind of hear it in the audio. It's a big thing. I mean, like, it kind of starts in a pub, and then all of a sudden, like the set almost like lifts up like the walls and then you're out into this kind of fun fair carnival and then there's all these kinds of different genres and styles and kind of like uh, it goes almost Bollywood musical for a second yeah and that to me felt like Dexter Fletcher kind of flexing his muscles a bit and being like yeah like the, this is what we can do let's fucking go all in and of course as the film progresses stuff like him playing at the Troubadour everything is big I felt like I was at shows obviously incredibly over the top shows that are given extra kind of pizzazz and like super like, almost supernatural elements to it but again comparing Andras with likes of Bohemian Rhapsody and even some of the stuff that we've talked about on the show so far they really did nail the feeling of being at not only just a gig, but also an important gig. Like, I mean, that first night of the Troubadour and saying, oh, like, Neil Young is there and such and such is at the bar and you need this to be a big thing. And I kind of appreciated that we didn't have the moment which you get in every film where he goes out and he fucks up initially. Yeah. And then comes back and nails it. He just nails it. And it was good. And you could feel like, I don't know, when you when I saw it again, I'm seeing kind of as it's kind of leaving the cinema. So it's me and like two other people on like a Thursday afternoon. Uh, I don't know if you saw it with a big crowd, but I would imagine like, like this would, these would be really kind of good convivial moments to be part of if you're seeing it in like a big packed out screening. John Wick 3 style. Yeah, I uh, I think I saw it the week after I saw John Wick 3. So it was uh, the same cinema, but like a totally different demographic in the crowd. But yeah, like just very, very buzzy, a lot of energy. Um, very much that with Saturday Night's All Right, because it's just like it's a, packs such a punch and you're just like, oh, the scope of this movie just became so much bigger because it it does have like a it does have a kind of a moderately big song and dance opening with the bitches back on the street on pinner street but or in pinner um but that is just like you're just like oh okay we're watching this movie in like full widescreen now it's like anything could be possible in terms of what dexter fletch is going to do in terms of taron edgerton though i mean i'm in this kind of strange conflicted zone where uh the vocals are good he's committed to the role seems like a likable enough guy but I could always see that he was an actor. And that sounds so dumb, but you know what I mean? Like, I can see, like, the acting school he went to. I don't know what it was. I don't know what it is. But there was a slight rigidity at points where I totally bought him, like, without question. Looks the part, walks the walk, talks the talk. I don't know what it was, whether it was an emotional thing. I could just see the guy that the guy was working. I don't know if that's me. I don't know if that's him. I don't. I don't think he did a bad job. I don't think it's necessarily a huge fault but I never lost sight of the fact that I'm watching an actor on the screen. Yeah, I I think he did really well um, in kind of one of the things, just we're probably going to compare Rami Malek a lot here, but that I would have dinged him for was that like everything around him was doing the heavy lifting in that movie where it was like the, you know, when you're wearing an iconic look that Freddie Mercury had and you've got the hair and makeup and you're doing the posturing and posing, you know, that that is an element of a performance, but I don't think there's anything else in that while with Rocketman I think that Taron Edgerton does a very good job in that everything that is kind of added onto him in theory should be a hindrance to try and give a dramatic performance like the the costumes like you know you're trying to look into his eyes and he has these incredible glasses on that would be like trying to look into a mirror with like strobe lights kind of around it and I feel that he definitely like he hits the dramatic beats well enough and then is conscious enough of the fact that 
Elton John is a creation for when then that's needed. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. And I mean, like I say, I feel almost kind of bad kind of ragging on him. I will say this, though. If Rami Malek, and again, how often are we going to come back to him? But like, if he wins the fucking Oscar for this, how does Taron Edgerton not? Yeah. Um, By this, I, I mean Bohemian Rhapsody, of course. Yeah, of course. There was talk of like a cameo. There was talk of like, again, you know, shared cinematic universe, like getting him in. But I, I guess those those contract talks broke down. In different studios as well. And maybe, yeah. You don't want the stench <laughs> hanging around. But seriously, I mean, like, get, do we give this guy the Oscar now? Like, I is it at least worth a nomination? By by those standards, I guess, yeah. I, I'm not really 100% certain what's coming down the pipeline. So it would kind of be a case of, we'll see. But if, if you're using the merit of people who got nominated last year, I would say... If he was in that field, I would happily put him there. But it's more that I do see a gulf in class here. I do see a gulf in the performance, despite the fact that, like I say, it is very much a performance with a capital P. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. There was just I, I wish I could have that kind of disconnect from him, and I, I guess I did for the most part. But there were just points when I kept coming back to like I could I don't know I could just see him like learn the lines or something, and I don't get that with many actors, so I don't know like what it is. I don't think I'm a big fan of him. I hate the Kingsman movies a lot. Yeah, they're incredibly obnoxious. I haven't seen the second one. The first one was just like so obnoxious. Yeah, I I didn't even... I saw like bits of the second one. They're making a third. I mean, he hasn't made a lot outside of moving outside of like making movies with kind of the Matthew Vaughn stable because like Dexter Fletcher is essentially under his wing. Kind of he's produced this. Um, He made Eddie the Eagle with Dexter Fletcher as well. Um, Two Kingsman movies. Robin Hood. Did you see Robin Hood? No, we were supposed to go see it. Yeah. Don't think anyone saw that movie. No. That was a was colossal... It? it was the King Arthur of its year. Like, yeah. Major flop. Stop rebooting those kind of properties. No one cares. Make more musical biopics, I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess the decision to kind of inject it with that kind of over-the-top fantasy kind of world works. And I guess, you know, Lesser Hands, you know, mixing it as well with the kind of kitchen sink drama stuff, which they do, which I was less a fan of, that could collapse the whole thing. But it manages to kind of keep powering on. Um, earlier on, by the way, we mentioned um, the Troubadour, which is like this legendary LA club that they go to early doors in their career, and he's very much like, "Oh my god, this is too soon," but goes out and nails it. I had no idea that that was Tate Donovan. Did you not? Didn't know who it was. He looked like he'd just been like, you know, parachuted in from like a side character in Behind the Candelabra. <laughs> have you seen Behind the Candelabra? I have. Yeah, he looked like Michael McKean uh, covered in baby oil. Yeah. Uh, or just like straight, they they were like, you can be in this movie, but we we kind of have to shoot Botox into your face. <laughs> <laughs> he's barely in it, but man, he steals he, it a bit. Yeah, he's he's has a lot of fun with it. Wildly fun boy and club owner, and has a lot of fun at that point as well. During that kind of sequence, we get to meet uh, Richard Madden of Game of Thrones fame and Bodyguard fame. Have you seen Bodyguard? I have not. It's good. I've I've heard it. I've heard it is good. Uh, it's completely over the top and stupid by the end of it, but like it's good. He's really good in it. And like coming out of Game of Thrones, where he was Rob Stark, he set up as the big hero. And then, of course, it doesn't end too well for him. And I believe the actor himself was—I think he said before that he was extremely like he went through a bit of a period of depression upon leaving that show because he was just so attached to it and really didn't want it to go. So I was really kind of glad to see him kind of bounce back recently with that role. And then he pops up in this, and he's kind of—I guess he's kind of the man of the moment in a way. He's been linked to Bond. So I was going to ask, so because um, Bodyguard was so big, he kind of—he is the. The Bond in waiting. Would this make you want him to be Bond more or less? 
I think because in make, my head he's like such a bastard in this. I want that, to be a Bond villain. That, like, yeah, that was about and to again, say that. Coming back to you know who, yeah. the next Bond villain. <laughs> yeah, I'd I'd much rather see Madden play a fucking vicious heel because he plays John Reed, the same character as Aiden Gillen. So he, a future manager of Queen in the timeline of this movie, manages Elton John, uh, meets him at the club or actually a party rather at Mama Cass's gaff, which is very hippy dippy and stuff. And they hit it off, and he basically is like, you could have the world, hits on him, seduces him, and they sleep together. And see, this is the point where, like, I mean, not that I'm expecting fucking, you know, penetration or anything, but, like... <laughs> I didn't think I, it was... I paid my 12-year-old. <laughs> I've got my popcorn. I want to see the everything, please. I didn't think it was that. Like, I mean, like, there's been a lot of talk about, oh, my God, like, this is, like, a, a very, like, vivid homosexual depiction. And it's like... If, if it is, well then, I mean, like it's 2019. I mean, like it's like it, it didn't like is it a big deal to see two lads just kissing and kind of fondling a bit? Like, yeah, it, like it I was, guess it is for fucking certain fucking idiots. But like, yeah, I mean, as you said, like this is a big, is a big studio film that's getting like a wide, wide release of a celebrated rock star. That like it's very know. tastefully done. It is very tasty. It's like it's very tender as well. Like it's yeah. you know, and it's it's Elton's first time. Go on, the lads. Yeah, no, I mean, like, more of it, but, yeah. Well, should we can have a listen you, you to You wanted the, more, though, is what you're saying. It's not that I necessarily wanted more. I was just kind of like, is that it? So, like, all the fuss yeah, is about Yeah, I guess maybe when, sometimes when there's, a, like, there's a little bit of a narrative before the movie. I've seen about, the fucking, I've seen the fucking Handmaiden, mate, in the lighthouse, you know? Yeah, we've, so have I. <laughs> I, di- I didn't get the walkout that you got, though, which oh, is the funniest. an all-timer the for me. It's an all-timer. <laughs> I don't know, like, it'll take me ages to tell that story. Should I tell that story? Tell it briefly. It's okay, I went to see The Handmaiden, which is a Parchan Wook movie. It's fucking excellent, by the way. Go and see it, or fucking torrent it, whatever the hell you do. Sunday afternoon, Lighthouse Cinema, which is an art house cinema in Dublin. It's a great place to go, yada, yada, yada. Rainy day. Went in, sat down, sat up the back, all cool. Um, knowing that The Handmaiden was this, like, three-hour-long epic about, like, lesbianism and, like, people discovering themselves and fuck the patriarchy and all that kind of jazz and aware as well that there was supposedly a couple of explicit sex scenes in it. So, first explicit sex scene comes along and it's very tender and it's about, kind of, you know, a, a very young girl, like, finding this new world and being guided into by an older woman and it's, in typical Park John Wick style, it's, it's, it's almost fantastical at points, but, like, before all of this happened, as the film was starting, a bloke came into the cinema, and God bless him, um, he wasn't a small man, and he kind of came up the stairs, I think he was on crutches, uh, I shouldn't be telling this story, um, and he just like took ages to kind of get into his seat, and he'd like tons of shopping bags with him as well, like it like, genuinely was like something out of a fucking like weird like sketch show, like the, the, the loudest possible distraction you could imagine, and he sat right in the middle of like the fucking middle row, and this sex scene is on and it's starting to kind of pick up some pace. And at this point, the bloke in the middle of the cinema gets up and I'm just like, what's happening? And he puts on like a big coat and starts grabbing his crutches and grabbing his bags. And just all of this is happening as the sex scene is getting more and more intense on the big screen. And everyone in the room is feeling the exact same tension and he finally like shuffles out, but all of this is taking a long fucking time. As once again, one character is on the verge, the crest of an orgasm on the big screen, and he gets to the end of the fucking row. And I'm like, he's gonna go down the stairs, like, and he's gonna stop, and he's gonna turn around, and he's gonna like scream about how obscene we are, or <laughs> we're all going to hell, or something. And it was perfectly timed. By the time he got to the fucking bottom step, the characters were fucking climaxing on the screen, and I'm like. 
paying attention to this and I'm just like wanting the ground to fucking swallow me up and finally he just goes round the corner and everyone including the characters on the fucking screen breathe a sigh of huge relief but it was just the most I've never felt tension like it in my life I genuinely I, I thought I was going to die it was horrible <laughs> I hope that man is okay I hope he wasn't I mean, like, is that like your classic, like, oh, I'll go see that movie. And then like, he was just disgusted by it. Was it an afternoon screening? Yeah. Because I went to see um, High Life. A movie, oh, the Rob Pattinson movie? Yeah. And there's like a fairly full on wild sex scene that kind of veers into like, it looks like under the skin, you know, that like black ether vibe that has gone on. And uh, Juliette Pinoche is like on some sort of space sex box <laughs> and um there was a, yeah there was a couple of older people in the cinema and one of them definitely was like and this is where i leave this movie <laughs> yeah i remember going to see black swan and during one of the the many intense sex scenes in that movie like i was sitting right next to some bloke in the back row like why am i always in the back Wait, row? i don't like, know i worked in the cinema for two years it's like the bus i know what happens in the back row yeah okay i didn't realize <laughs> And my foot accidentally brushed off his. And before I had a chance to say anything, he was like, watch your fucking feet. And I was like, Ugh. whoa. Yeah, yeah. I ruined his buzz, I guess. I remember going to see the Blair Witch remake again, back row. And on the fucking end, at the end of the back row, there was a couple basically completely having sex. And I was just like, okay, maybe I need to rethink my choices. I just want, like, I, I saw this in the back row. <laughs> There's no one else there. Nothing, everyone was fine, yeah. Everything was fine, yeah. So back to the sex scene. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's over and done within about, like, uh, 36 seconds much like real yeah. life and uh, let's hear what both Taron Edgerton and Richard Madden had to say about it when they were interviewed by one of many journalists it's 2019 you know we are hopefully living in a progressive sane society um, I know attitudes differ from territory to territory but we're celebrating one of the greatest gay icons of all time whose career is full of firsts and so if we are indeed the first studio movie to depict a same-sex male love scene, then I am fiercely proud of that. Uh, I mean, these things are never easy, because you're kind of naked in a room with, you know, 30, 50 people. It's always a bit strange. Um, but it's a really important moment um, in the film. It's a really important moment in Elton's life, and it's a pivotal part of the film. It's the first time he, he ever makes love with someone, so... Uh, it's it's a tough thing to shoot on the day, but I think Dexter handled it really well and kind of made a really beautiful scene. It's, it's difficult. Um, at the best so there you go. As they say, progressive, and you know, ultimately they committed to it as best they could. Your your classic. Oh, it's a bit awkward on set, isn't it, mate? From Richard Madden there. Um, yeah. Well, there's like forty, fifty people there. Nope. I don't know how actors do that yet, man. I literally have no idea. <laughs> like that I is... know, like a lot of them, there is close sets, but even a close set, it's like it's still too many people. <laughs> yeah, you got the sound guy, the lighting dude, the director, the very the the key grip. I don't know. I don't, I don't know who else is in there. Yeah, I mean, fair play to them. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like you know, I I I'd, I hate that we're celebrating a film for showing what is like in no way offensive is in no way abnormal you know it's like again it's 2019 like this like in, if this was in 1999 and people were like oh like this is this is progressive and like it is progressive and that, and that shouldn't be shot down completely because of course we need stuff like this to happen and um L, like lgbtq plus representation in major studio fucking summer blockbusters or whatever it is even we like we looked at fucking avengers endgame recently and how hand wavy that was i mean yeah. like I don't know. I mean, like, it's great and all, but also... Because there's, like, kind of an orgy sequence later on in the film that I just felt was like, incredibly, like, 
arty staged. It didn't really feel like a thing. And there's been a lot of talk. I mean, like, like, like I don't, I don't see how this film was given an R rating for this. Like, what the fuck? It's nothing, you know. I think the, it was the drug taking and the language that would have done it. Yeah, there's some, there's some C bombs in there, I believe. Yeah, you can show Alan John shooting someone in the face with a gun, I suppose, and that's fine. <laughs> but, but not in this. Um, perfect time to talk about Richard Madden, though. So it comes in like the guardian angel. Elton John falls in love with him, and pretty much like two scenes later, he's an arch villain. He's the big bad wolf. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Like, and he is so much fun in this film. I know, I know, we've complained that like everyone around him is a villain, but like Jesus Christ, this guy is eating. It's so enjoyable. Um, he kind of looks ridiculous because he's either wearing a wig or they've dyed his hair like got to be a wig, jet black. He looks like Pierce Brosnan and Remington Steele. <laughs> oh wow, that's a, that's a pull. Goldeneye was on TV the other night. That holds up as well. But it really does. It's so over the top he basically like signs a contract with Elton John and then basically decides to take all of his money and treat him like shit and work him into the ground and there's one sequence in particular where Elton John's kind of at the end of his rope drugs wise and he comes out to find Richard Madden getting a blowjob like in the garden and it's just like when when he's when he he's doing this and he has invited Elton's mother father-in-law and and lovely old gran over and he knows that they're probably going to arrive in a, you know, in about, five imagine, in about five minutes. Yeah, think, I'll just get this. I'll just get this blowjob in real quick. <laughs> and like he's completely unapologetic about it. Uh, there's a point where, and again, it's it's the the kind of emotional roller coaster. There's a scene where Elton John is on the phone to his mother, and he comes out over the phone to her, and she's like, "Oh, I always knew." And you're kind of like, "Oh, that's cool." But then she goes, um, "I just hope you realize you're choosing a life of being alone forever." And you're like, "Jesus Christ!" Comes off the phone, obviously upset. Richard Madden's outside being like, what are you doing? And then he explains what just happened. And then Richard Madden slaps him hard across the face. And I'm like, (laughs) did fucking Lars von Trier make this movie? Like, what the hell? Was it really always like, was he really surrounded by the worst people at all times apart from Bernie Taupin? Yeah, I mean, there's there's an element of like, needless to say, I had the last laugh about uh, the way Elton is portrayed. He's just like, I rose above all of it. You know, here's to all the naysayers. Um, Fuck the haters. Exactly. But... I believe, like, I mean, again, like in terms of, like, you know, the inaccuracies, the inconsistencies, the poetic license, all these things that come with these kind of movies, that's fine. However, you do wonder about, like, people like John Reed in real life seeing these movies and being like, Jesus Christ, I'm, like, the worst human of all time. You wonder how true it is. And then I saw something recently about Elton John's father because he remarries and has two kids. There's a sequence where Elton goes to see him and he basically gets him to sign a record, which he's obviously going to sell... And doesn't really give a shit about him. Never accepted him. And one of the sons of your man in real life has said that, you know, this film actually really hurts us because he wasn't like this at all. He was a great loving dad. I, this isn't true. And I think even Elton John has said himself about, like, the depiction of his mother is a bit over the top as well. And you understand, I mean, it's a fucking giant Hollywood movie, but also, like, an awful lot of people off the street are going to see this movie and think it's gospel. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think it's been called up a wee bit, um, even himself, that, like, his dad did try and kind of stay in touch with him like there's a there's a particular scene um after he's kind of he's found success that is like the real you know getting shanked by your own by your own father where he goes to see him that's the one with the record yeah yeah it's not just just before like a big gig he's about to do yeah and um yeah he goes to see his dad and he gives him like a really a really nice watch a lot of diamonds on it and his dad's kind of like embarrassed by how expensive it is and mm. you know kind of how garish it is and 
Yeah. He, he, has, his, like he has his two new kids there and he clearly is like, he's very, he's very um, paternal around them in a way that he was never... Oh, he treats him like a total stranger, yeah. yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I mean, like, that may have happened for Beethoven, but there's just moments where the film kind of sledgehammers you into feeling a certain way. But again, I mean, like, that's probably what the fucking film should be. And I think for the most part, it is successful. Uh, yeah, Richard Madden has an awful lot of fun. He doesn't really get a big ending. He just kind of fades away at one point, which is a shame because, like, he really is the top heel of the movie for quite some time. And in the end, he just he's just kind of there. Elton John, like, marries someone for the sake of it and there's no real love there. Uh, we mentioned Bernie Taupin, Taupin uh, played by Jamie Bell his lifelong songwriting partner and best friend. They've apparently never had an argument, ever, which is impressive. Um, a little bit of uh, artistic license, perhaps, in this Possibly, movie. yeah, who knows. But, I mean, they're paired together as they were in real life, and the first time they meet, they kind of discover a shared love of music and songwriting. Ever, uh, sorry, sorry. No, no, please. See you. I like your lyrics. Thank you. Yeah, I, I got the tape that you sent. It's great. Really good. Thanks. Oh, hang on. Uh, hey, don't, don't bother with that one. That wasn't supposed to be in there. It's not no, mistake. no, that's really good. I wrote a tune to it. Yeah, I bought a song. Yeah. I read it and I could hear the whole tune in my head. It was all there. I could see all the notes and I just had to get it out. It's like my fingers couldn't work fast enough to keep up with my brain. <laughs> so what do we think of Jamie Bell, who I've always had a bit of a soft spot for? Um... I thought he was really good in this because he's probably the only person who's not playing it up. Like he's kind of the anchor in a lot of different ways in this movie because everyone's just kind of like going off around him and um, he just kind of has to be like a like a partner for Elton but also like a support structure and then kind of have his own thing. Um, yeah, I thought, thought Jamie Bell was really good in this. Um, I haven't really watched an, an, an all that much of him. I know you like to watch... Nymphomaniac while doing the ironing, which he is in. One time in my life, <laughs> many years ago. I thought it was ago. just like, I've got a big load of ironing to get through. I have two baskets full of ironing. I have to stick on Nymphomaniac parts one and two. Uh, yes, oh God, in that film, that film will ruin Jamie Bell for you because he's a like a very violent domina- dominatrix type in that movie. As opposed to just like um, very, um, you know, encouraging... Got your back, Bernie. Yeah, I can't see him breaking out a whip, but who knows. I feel like, yeah, I don't know, uh, Jamie Bell, I think I think he's always been like, he's always kind of like been on the forefront of like huge things and then they just don't work. Like he's in that film Jumper, remember that? The Doug Lyman. Doug Lyman, Hayden Christensen, yeah. And it was like, that was clearly set up for sequels that never ever happened. Uh, Fantastic Four remake, of course. Of course. Which did not go well. Uh, I'm looking through his filmography. He's in Snowpiercer, which I love. Um, and Filth, which I think is a surprisingly good movie. And in both those movies, he tends to play kind of like characters who don't do too well and get uh, shoveled off halfway through. Um, I guess he's never really had the big thing. I think he's just a reliable presence. Seems like a good dude, maybe, possibly. Yeah, I guess because his breakout role was like, and he was so young, exactly, yeah, Um, was such a big hit that it kind of just got expected while... He's only 33, yeah. Jesus. Uh, married twice to two Hollywood actresses. Can you name them? Well, I know he's he is married to Kate Mara now. That's correct. His uh, Fantastic Four co-star. Yep. And before that, oh, I can't remember. Evan Rachel Wood. Oh, really? That's correct. They met while filming a Green Day video. A Green... Oh, is that 
Boulevard of Broken Dreams. It's from that album uh, that that's on. It's Wake Me Up With Some Tebber Ends. Oh, okay. Very melodramatic video in which he goes off to war and they have a big shouting match about it. They were together for a long time. Then they broke up and she went out with Marilyn Manson. And I then, remember that. And then they got back together. Now, I love Marilyn Manson's music, but like, don't think I could get back with my ex-girlfriend after Marilyn Manson was there in the middle. I just think that it would change the dynamic <laughs> somehow. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Reliable she's presence. He's, yeah, she, she's seen things I can't even imagine. Um, reliable presence definitely works here in the, in the kind of best friend supporting anchor occasional punch bag role. They have really nice moments together. In particular, the last time they kind of uh, meet when Elton's in rehab. And it's just like a nice kind of thing. There was nice moments of like Elton John basically like saying, I'm sorry. And him being like, yeah, I know. Just that kind of friend thing. Yeah. That, that you kind of, you know, you allow the flaws to come in. And those and, like, moments... like they do like, tell where, each other that they love each other quite a bit, which, yeah, is, which is nice. Which is good, yeah. I bought it. I mean, like, ultimately by the end of this film, I did feel like there is a sense of kind of hope. And there's a sense of like a life lived. And this great big superstar who, who knows might be a complete bastard behind the scenes, I don't know, but has maybe earned the right to be, I suppose. Yeah. Because the tunes, man, the fucking tunes, they're so, so good. Um, But yeah, I, overall, I, I, I liked it more on reflection than I did in the moment. Um, there was a couple of points, like, kind of as it was going along, that I was just, like, getting a little bit kind of hit over the head with the tropes, because I guess they're unavoidable. But generally, I thought it was, I, I thought it was pretty decent. Um... I suppose before we wrap up, we probably should play at least one more clip just to really underline that Richard Madden heel roll one more time. And this is him uh, basically telling Elton John how it is. Hmm? Number 11 in Italy. The song doesn't work. That's the problem. The record's coked out M.O.R. The problem is you have never understood me and what I have to go through do you know what? I should have sacked you when you left me. I am glad I left you. It means I can maintain some objectivity on your self-indulgent, myopic little world. Get in the studio and make some music or don't. I don't care. Well, you will when your money runs out. Do your worst. In fact, take me to court. You signed contracts with me years ago, so I'll still be collecting my 20% long after you've killed yourself. So yeah, don't cast him as Bond. Cast him as a fucking prick in something because I didn't know he had the chops for that. Uh, yeah, so I guess final thoughts. Um, are you happy for Dexter Fletcher? Are you happy for Elton John? I'm ha- Yeah, I mean, I I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Like, it, it, There's definitely laggy periods in it. Um his, you know, his marriage to, um, what was the name of his? Renata. Renata, yeah. But like... That's kind of tacked that was, on, yeah. But you know what? It's tacked on, but I kind of appreciate... One of the things that I quite liked about it is that they they did zip through things that other movies spend too much time on. So stuff like that, that marriage is basically like the entirety of Don't Let the Sun Go Down to Me is him meeting her kind of like singing her within the studio then being like marriage getting married and then you have the scene where they have breakfast together and he's like pouring the biggest screwdriver that anyone's ever had and it's just like oh and that's that you know that's that ticked off and i was like that was good i kind of appreciate that because like it's something that you probably have to address in the movie but Dexter Fletcher and Lee Hall, uh, the writer, might not have found as interesting or, you know, in terms of what they wanted to do. So I appreciated that. And like you had another one, the one of the better 
um one of the better big musical numbers honky cat which is like him and richard madden singing that was great so much fun like and again like that's that's a great way to yada yada the rise of success where yeah, he was like, like trying on he's suits. like what do you want and it's just yeah trying not to like giant department stuff. store yeah yeah nice little nod to watford there as well where he's like <laughs> getting the header and getting carried away by them um so i thought that like they did very very great stuff with that um the actual the uh the titular song of the movie what's um, how, how did you find that scene i enjoyed it yeah i mean that's perhaps the most kind of ostentatious depiction in a film full of ostentatious depictions where he kind of comes off the 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 diving board as yeah. like when he's effectively trying to kill himself in front of a party full of people to show you just how low this has gone and sees the child version of himself playing a piano i mean there was a there was a problem with that and as much as like you know he sinks down into the swimming pool and the kids there playing piano with the kind of spaceman suit on and it's very close to being uh, a john smith ad is it john smith yeah the the christmas ones it's extremely and, close to that and i was like mm, but again as the song picks up and like, it he's getting kind goes of to places away, that are great you know yeah, it's like, and that song is probably like that and i want love are my joint favorite elton john songs i think both the songs are magic absolute magic uh, and rocket man in particular i think is a special kind of magic like it's it's a one-of-a-kind song it's fucking amazing yeah and i think they with, with a movie like this where it's the song probably you, you know you name your movie after it and it's the song everyone knows so you know they could have been well within the right to end the movie with it and like have it be incredibly big and triumphant but like it's a pretty somber song and they really nail it with some of the visuals like him being taken away like getting pumped that's uh, brilliant yeah um, and, like, yeah, and then and that he, scene like he's batting, that's backlit he, like he's batting away the auction master to sing the song yeah that's excellent yeah and then when he's take, taken away and um, they kind of they're in that like big room and it's like you know you're just basically kind of getting all the sun coming in through the window and like everything's in like shadows and he's basically been stripped off and like suited up and like shoved on stage and it like that alone kind of speaks to like how musicians are treated you know like in some ways if you're like you're so successful the the machines and the wheels have to keep turning yeah you and can't then, miss anything exactly and then comes out the end into that dodger stadium and that like deadly looking uh la dodgers Wondy thing that he and, has, like, stands on the piano and hits and then, the like, ball. Hits it, it's nails it. Cool, like yeah. it's that was a great, great moment. It's and then like to yeah. even lean into more. It's like you know what? Um, we're gonna turn him into a rocket. <laughs> <laughs> like we're going full on. Like they literally threw absolutely everything on that scene, and I thought it was like remarkable. All right, yeah, fair play. I mean, like the more I think about, it, the more I like it. Um, I don't think it's a perfect movie or anywhere close to it, but I think as these things go, everyone involved brought their A game. Next up on no popcorn, we're bringing it home to an Irish movie and uh, it sounds a bit like this we're not taking you out of school we're transferring you you'll be new then what's your name Connor Lawler shut up we have a black shoe policy here Mr Lawler they're brown they're quite sensible they're not black who knows what this new prison will do for you this is your time you see it's beautiful how come you're not in school I'm a model well do you want to be in a video for my band? See, if you're in a band, sing me a song. Take on me. We need to form a band. What? Connor's not a band girl. Oh, good Jesus. You'd play every instrument known to mankind. Probably. Show sure. So that's Sing Street, a film I've never seen. 
it's been chosen by a guest who will accompany us on this episode. And uh, I'm basically going to give out about once a lot, I think, because John Kearney was responsible for that as well. Sing Street is a bit of a bit of a, a, re- a recent cult hit, I suppose. Yeah, it did. Um, well received, did well abroad, made a good bit of money for what was a kind of a small movie. John Kearney was kind of like, he kind of went a little bit big with his previous film, uh, Begin Again. And then he he came back home. He wanted to make a movie with no models. <laughs> did you you know if you you heard that line why he said that? Uh, we'll get into it, but um he did not have a good time uh with Kira Knightley on Begin Again. Oh, and he was yeah. said some incredibly dumb and dismissive things about it. Hasn't her. there been but hasn't there been like a lot of back and forth since then? He hasn't he he's he's he since apologized. He yes. apologized, but yeah, yeah. That when he was on the press junket of Sing Street, that was his that was his line for like why he kind of why he came home and why he made something a bit smaller. Excellent. Okay, well, we'll get there. Uh, thank you very much, Dave Higgins. It's been a pleasure. Uh, my name is Dave Hanrady. This has been No Popcorn. There will be No Popcorn. Check out the No Awkward podcast if somehow you've come to this independently. And to close us out for this episode, Rami Malek is now going to tell us about a few things that he enjoys. I'm a fan of Freddie Mercury and Queen. I'm a fan of my mom. She's got my back. I'm a fan of chamomile tea I'm a fan of handwritten letters I'm a fan of classic movies I'm a fan of looking sharp regardless of the occasion I'm a fan of random encounters I'm a fan of traveling by train I'm a fan of equal opportunities for all I'm a fan of mischief. I'm a fan of being exactly who I want to be. I'm a fan of Mandarin Oriental. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hey guys, this is Gabby Douglas. If you have an active lifestyle like me, hydration is key. That's why I love the Hydration Watermelon Smoothie from Smoothie King. Blended with whole fruits, coconut water, and more electrolytes than some of the leading sports drinks. Hydration Watermelon is the cleaner way to hydrate with no artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives. So you can recover and perform at your peak ability during the summer heat. Order online or through the app for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.